It's the quotidian. Welcome back to The Quotidian. I'm Bradley Dennis. On paper, Greg Hone is a communications professor at the UNC Keenan Flagler Business School, but he's much more than that. Greg has been the director of Transactors Improv Company in Chapel Hill, North Carolina since 1996, and has worked in professional theater for nearly 40 years. He's taught at Duke University's Theater Studies Department, and has led applied improv programs for corporations, organizations, and a multitude of other academic institutions. He's recently written and published the book, Putting Improv to Work, Spontaneous Performance for Professional and Personal Life. And these are subjects near and dear to my personal and professional life. So it was a thrilling opportunity to speak with him about this work about the book, and about how defining our own metrics for success are among the most important things we should investigate. Thank you as ever for being here. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, the door is always open. Please go to www.thequotidianpod.com to find out more, or email us at info at carolinacommons.org. And now, please enjoy my conversation with the ever-inventive Greg Hone. Mr. Greg Hone, welcome to The Quotidian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I say that, but we're in your office, which is... Yeah. I'm doing remote recording, mm-hmm. like really going in the field, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations on the book. Thank you. So I've, I've in the intro told people a little bit about your background mm-hmm. and, and what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear why, why you wrote a book, like what, <laughs> what, what was important about it? What, um, what prompted you to, right. To put it in, in words. Oh, trust me. There were times when I thought, why am I doing this too? Especially <laughs> when it came to trying to, to sell the damn thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me sometimes like, so I, I race bicycles and sometimes I'm wondering, why am I, why am I racing? Um, mm-hmm. But what, so over the years, I've done a lot of writing about improv, you know, going back into the nineties <clears throat> um, and even you know, before the term blog was really used, I was posting essays on a website Mm -hmm. and that's what I was doing. So, and um, I got a lot of positive feedback from people. And then when I started teaching courses, I would assign some of these uh, readings to my students. Mm. And then I was writing more. And then, yeah, it's, oh, I know. (laughs) Actually, it is kind of funny now that I think about it. Um, So, 
I also write fiction and I had written oh. a novel and um, and a friend said like, you know what you really need to do if you want to sell this novel, you need to write a nonfiction book. And so- Get your I, name out there. Yeah. And so I, <clears throat> I thought, okay, I think, I think my nonfiction book would probably be better than my novel anyway. And I'd more or less forgotten about how this came to be. Mm. But it did occur to me like, that's a good idea. I should- compile some stuff into a book and I started thinking about well I could write about just theatrical improv but there are already books about that and yeah. and I don't have a big enough name where it's like oh Greg Hone's finally written the book no, no one you know 15 people would care about that mm -hmm. but I do have the specialized knowledge and experience of uh, using this in the applied sphere and teaching at a business school for so long and, and doing uh, consulting outside of that. And, and um, so I thought, why don't I write what I know? And then when I started um, kind of figuring out where this would belong in the world of improv books, um, researching competitive or comparable titles, yeah. that really gave me a very clear direction with how I wanted to go on this. And I wanted it to be a guide. Um, I wanted it to be something where uh, a teacher in any situation, yes, any setting, mm -hmm. law school, med school, high school, um, or individuals in any setting, or mm -hmm. theater people uh, who are either looking for a different uh, perspective on, on improvisation or who are looking for applications. I just want it to be something that's useful for people. Yeah. And it is kind of interesting because um, I, I had read some books where it's kind of like, it's sort of like secret formula. Yeah. So the writer is more or less trying to uh, hype what they do, um, but keep it a mystery and drop some names along the way to generate interest in what they're doing. Right. And I don't blame them for that, but I just thought, well, I don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've got my gig. I don't, I don't need to like, you know, be on the road. You don't have a secret sauce that you're selling? Exactly. No, nope. yeah. this is the whole recipe, you know, and you can make it for yourself or you can make it for a group. And that's all I want people to do. Well, that was one thing that I really noticed about it. And thank you for the advanced copy, by the way. That was yeah. very generous is that it could be taken on on several different levels, that mm -hmm. it is a primer for people who are teaching in different environments. But mm -hmm. in the same token, even for someone who's not a theater person, there's just a lot of really sound advice on how to be present with yourself mm -hmm. in lots of different situations. And, and that's, you know, I don't think you set out to write a self-help book, mm -hmm. but there's a little bit of that in there. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's pretty self-helpy, um, and that wasn't the goal. And I certainly didn't want to. I didn't like go to places. I've written a self-help book, and not in a presumptuous way, right? But yeah. Um, but it's almost like when I'm teaching courses, um, the the unspoken secret is that it's kind of group therapy. Yeah. Um, but I'm not qualified to be a therapist, so I'd never say this is therapy. But sometimes I have sure. a student and I'll say, hey, Greg, you know, this kind of makes me think of like therapy. And I always <laughs> think, respond, oh, you don't say. Really? Um, yeah. A thing like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but really, I think so much of, I mean, 
so much of therapy is just um, uh, getting people to open up in different ways and um, giving them an opportunity to be heard. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's what theater is about. And well, anyway, um, Mm -hmm. so this is a combination of all those things. But I really wanted this to um, I really wanted this to be something that is useful for people. And I really did want to, well, I mean, the book's not free, um, but I did want to just kind of like give it away. I want, I hope that people who, and I know that there are people who are looking for a way to um, pitch their applied improv course to a school. I hope that they can say like, you know, go to an administration and a dean and say, hey, this guy wrote this book and uh, they're doing it here and here. And there's some other places that are doing it too. And yeah. I think you should do it here. And whether that's like a journalism school or social work, wherever it is. Um, I've worked with all sorts of different people, you know, engineers, lawyers, doctors. And, um, and I think that this kind of curriculum is very um, universal in many ways because it's really all pe- – people ask me like, so I'm teaching business, business folks. Now what are you teaching them how to lie well? Mm-hmm. No. No, actually, I'm not. Um, right. That would be that, you know, one of the things I say is uh, dishonesty is immoral and not sustainable. And does it work well on stage? <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, I just think it's about uh, I think part of professional development has to be to becoming more comfortable with who you are, yeah. more fulfilled in your work, happier with your work. One question I would have is uh, for people who aren't familiar with improv. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds they're they're probably very familiar with whose line is it anyway, mm-hmm. and kind of theater sports and yeah. sort of uh, right. back bar room, yeah, um, kind of thing. Right? Is that right? Bar room, back room, something like that. <laughs> right. But what's what's important about yeah. improvisation and why why teach it to people who aren't theater right. folks? Well. Wow, there's a lot to... There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first of all, um, you know, I've been doing improv on stage as a pro for 33 years now. It's been a long time. Wow. Yeah. And when I started, um, the group I work with, we were doing a lot of... Uh, this is Transactors. Transactors Improv yeah. Company, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so we... Um, we were doing what's called short form little games, like you would see on Who's Line or, th- uh-huh. you know, comedy sports theater, comedy, whatever, you know, that stuff. Yeah. And I've got nothing against that. Mm-hmm. That's super fun and it can be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, but over time, you play some of those games a couple of times, it's like, eh, that's all there is to discover. So I became much mm-hmm. more interested in seeing what what the possibilities were for improvisational theater. So taking <clears throat> a, off the stage less focus on the superficial the mm. the entertainment yeah and a little bit more the the actual workshopping of it well n- no more like trying to create improvised plays on stage mm. um, okay so getting so more into long form getting yeah well mm-hmm. sure it's you know long form um and and having 
trying to say something with it. Yeah. Um, of course, I want it to be entertaining. Um, but like doing a two act play that follows characters and that yeah. has arcs or doing full length musicals or um, <clears throat> that's doing, all improv. Oh, yeah. 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 The music and, and everything is, is improvised um, or doing um, uh, a show with like five episodes of 15 to 20 minutes based on a theme that you explore. Um, and so I always want people to come up after a show and say, well, that was amazing. How much of that was written? Mm-hmm. And say, none of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, because I feel that when you're only trying to be funny, you limit so much of what's possible yeah. with improv. And a lot of the short form games are only about being funny and it's only about an idea. Yeah. And I think the best laughs are like soul laughs, the laughs that, I mean, we call them belly laughs. And um, those are the things that come from things like, oh, that hurt mm-hmm. or this is awkward or where you really oh, get into vulnerability yeah. and being seen and that where people right. see themselves in their own awkwardness and vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, just so. And, and desperation is great fodder for, for comedy. And it always has been, you know, yeah. I love working with romantic love and that whole thing. I'm like, you know, we get needy in these things. And um, so that is tied in with the, Curriculum, because I'm really trying to get people out of their heads or maybe out so that they're not just in their heads and they're in their whole bodies. And so they're that in they their... can see their heads a little clearer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. And, yeah. and so that they're in their hearts and they're in their their souls, you know, yeah. whatever a soul might be. I, I don't know. But there's this idea that they're bringing them, their, their whole selves to it. And a lot of times when I have students, um, you know, in a non-theatrical setting, you know, the business school would be a great example. They're coming in and a lot of them are thinking, like, well, I'm not really funny, so I'm not really sure why I'm here. So, yeah. Oh, don't you worry about it. I, you might yeah. find that you're actually very, very funny. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're, I, I think that, that, God, it's kind of getting me choked up thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I think that people have this native native humor that springs from like the beauty that they are. Yeah, and we just spend so much time kind of covering that up because it's the vulnerability thing, you right. know. And if we're rejected when we're being beautiful, mm-hmm. when we're sharing our beautiful, then that's really painful. Yeah. But then again, that's also part of what I think is like this really deep comedy where. Um, I don't know. I, I think about this scene from a movie. Um, <clears throat> there's something about Mary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous slapstick over the top movie. Okay. Yeah. But there's this scene where Ben Stiller's character reveals his deep love and then he gets his heart broken. He's walking down the street. He's just crying his ass off. And it's like this really sad kind of clown scene. Mm-hmm. But it's also beautiful and touching because, we've, you know, almost all of us have been in that situation. Right. And the funny doesn't come from... The funny, it comes from the, the beauty and the, the, the painful, the, pain. the failure so, of it. Yeah. And that's yeah. like if you've done clown work, mm. that's where the clown lives. Yeah. And it's 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 not in the success that we find mm. 
humor. It's in the failure, the repeated failure over yeah. and over again. And then that the success is always an accident. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, it struck me a few years ago that um, most of Transactor shows are about redemption. That's the theme. Hmm. Like someone, it, hap it seems to happen almost by accident, or maybe it's just an ethos we've developed. Mm -hmm. But this idea of um, maybe it doesn't end up, maybe there's not a happy ending or whatever. Maybe someone fails, but there's still like this redemption because that's part of being alive. So when people aren't familiar with improv, um, especially in, an, in the applied setting, what I'm often doing is um, I'm just saying, you know, I'll say on the first day of class, this is a class. It's not an audition. It's not a show. Show up, be you in a student frame of mind. Yeah. And... If it's going to be funny, it's going to be funny. And if it's not, it won't be. And um, whatever you bring is good. Just yeah. bring it. You know, my company's motto is if you laugh, we're doing comedy. And if you don't, we're doing drama. Right. Which but, is a fabulous. <laughs> well, fabulous. thank you. And I didn't come up with it myself. But I don't want people to feel um, that they have to go at it any particular way. Yeah. Um, I want them to um, kind of go through it in a circuitous fashion, you know, maybe in through a side door where all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I get it. Um, as opposed to like, be funny now, go, now stop, you know. Right, right. Not, I don't need, I know, I, I don't, when I was compiling that index for my book, I think I used the word comedy once mm. and, you know, humor once. It's not about how to be funny. Sure. And I got nothing against being funny. Okay. Right. I goof off all the time. People say, Greg, you're funny. And I'm like, thank you. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I am a pretty funny guy. Haven't been so far, but uh, <laughs> um, I got nothing against it. But I, I really like, you know, f humor that's a little more organic and yeah. sort of like communal. And yeah. Well, and it sounds like what you're talking about too is when people stop trying. Mm -hmm. And and they're they're responding to things in the moment, which is some, you know one of the rules of improv. Yeah, is you don't have to invent anything; it's all mm -hmm. there for you to, yeah. to pick at. Right. That the humor evolves; it's a byproduct right. of that presence, and it's a yeah. byproduct of that of that being. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you have to have that trust, whether whether you're on stage or in a you know professional social situation, that everything you need is right there. Um, and what your job is to be aware of it. Um, be aware of the circumstances, the other parties involved, yeah. and yourself. And that um, the, the more you can stay in the moment and just aware, be aware of what's going on around you and within you, you'll figure it out. It doesn't mean that you're going to be successful because you're aware, but I think your chances are better. It's like good technique, mm -hmm. you know. Um, at least, you know, if you have a failure, you can look back and say, all right, well, you know, I tried my best, but it just um, wasn't my day or it wasn't my situation. Yeah. But yeah, it's all about, um, it's, it's all about that. And it's hard. 
you know, it really is. It's it's hard because I think we've all been taught and socialized to, um, you know, be anywhere from, uh, uh, you know, overly self-conscious to, uh, you know, manipulative or conniving. Um, right. So uh, it is funny, too, I've noticed, you know, just how, how people, especially as time passes, they really seem to um, get that, mm-hmm. you know. That as they get older, or um, no, it's I think it's a changing time right now. Oh, I you mean people in our era? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people want to be. I th- I think that they want to um, be satisfied. Mm-hmm. They're more. Um, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm just saying sure. this is my anecdotal experience. Well, I think there's. I've certainly noticed some truth to that observation mm-hmm. in that, you know, especially in the last decade, mm-hmm. people have become more accustomed to be able to instantly change their environments or mm-hmm. their stimulus. Mm-hmm. And whether that's, you know, being online or their phones or, mm-hmm. you know, social media or whatever the the stimulus. I mean, like it, you talk about attention in the book and that's mm-hmm. that's a primal part of, of, of sort of this technology of improv. Mm-hmm. And it really requires a motivated and disciplined attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a real there's a real lack of of that as a skill and i think it it speaks to what you're talking about that that's that people don't cultivate that as as a a strength and then of course when you send people out into the the business world Mm. and suddenly they have an awareness of their physicality they have an awareness of other people's body language Mm. they have an awareness of their own breath they've got an awareness of of the ability to think on their feet and have that mm-hmm. presence of mind, they are, you know, it's like they're armed with howitzers against people mm-hmm. who are bringing knives. Yeah. It's a, and so I can see where the efficacy of the program yeah. is, would be huge. And yeah. I'm sure you've gotten, what yeah. kind of feedback have you gotten from students? I get great feedback from yeah. students, you know, um, and it, it depends, but, um, you know, I'm, I I got a great email from a student, and I think I mentioned this in the book. You know, uh, yeah, he just said, "Hey, I was uh, working with a client the other day, and I realized we were playing at business." <laughs> you know, it wasn't wow. like this competition, but it yeah. was. You know, um, it had this easy feeling, and uh, I think we all know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, we know it from friends or family something like that but this idea we also you know have people we liked we we trust and right. we enjoy and that sort of thing and that's that's one of my goals is that people can make themselves trustworthy and enjoyable um you know you talked about attention and um you know my classrooms are we're we're unplugged we're technology free there is no powerpoint there's no phone there's you know no laptop there's nothing and that does kind of blow people away a little bit. Yeah. And I do have a lot of students who are diagnosed with ADHD, and I'll get a note from, you know, campus saying, you know, give this student extra time and final exam. I'm like, final exam and improv? There's no final exam and improv, <laughs> you know, like badges. We don't have stink, stinking badges. But, yeah. um, so, uh, but um, I don't know enough about that topic to be able to speak about it knowledgeably, but I will say that, no one seems to be struggling with attention in the class. 
that's, when, that's when great. We're, when we're playing and we're talking and we're doing stuff, people seem to be pretty engaged. And I don't know, maybe the work is intense. I'm not really sure. For some of them, I imagine it's probably a struggle, but I, you know. It's play, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're tapping into a primal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are one of the only people I know for whom that is your primary work. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, it's yeah. a pretty unique thing. Yeah. Um, this program and and my company is devoted to helping people realize the potential of, of those mm-hmm. technologies. And, mm-hmm. you know, the chapter titles of your book are very helpful uh, for me to kind of use oh, as a guide for yeah. this interview, but the, or conversation. Um, and one of them is you talk about creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you talk about how oftentimes you, you'll ask at the start of your classes, how many people think of themselves as creative and about 20% of them Mm -hmm. roughly will acknowledge that, yeah, maybe. And it's a little tentative. Mm -hmm. How does that vary differ from, do you ever ask that at the end of the class? Um, Usually it already it becomes <laughs> the obvious. conversion generally takes place during <laughs> that class session yeah you know i don't take a poll at the end um it seems a little too pt barnum i suppose like <laughs> you're cured actually sometimes i have said all right you're cured you may go yeah. you know but um cured of what well cured of seeing yourself as a non-creative entity yeah um and is that an explicit goal of yours yeah i want people to get in touch with their own creativity, yeah. which doesn't mean their artistry. It doesn't mean they have to become a sculptor or a dancer. It just right. means what it is our job as people to be creative. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Um, that's what we've done since time immemorial. We create stuff. Um, we're also very good at destroying stuff that we've created, but mm-hmm. that and um, we are communal animals. Yeah. Um, so I think the more we can recognize our basic, basically who we are and, and our gifts as a species, that's helpful. But I remember, so I was out in L.A. years ago and I was working a job, a temp job uh, in an office. And I organized the files for one department. And all of a sudden people were talking about, like, you got to get that Greg guy in to organize your stuff. And I've been there, you know couple months and somebody said like greg you know you might want to consider opening a uh becoming an organizational consultant um i'm like wow that's not what i want to do (laughs) you should see my sock door drawer it's like tight yeah um but one of the that's one of the things i I sometimes mention to students is like i see order where others see chaos Mm -hmm. and um that's a gift and or a talent that i've developed and it's not super sexy to most people, but it's something that's useful. Right. And that might be your thing. Or maybe you're a great problem solver. Or mm-hmm. maybe you're a great adapter. Maybe you don't initiate well, mm-hmm. but you can run with something well. Um, you know, I, I think the ability to manage and lead people involves a creativity. And the creativity manifests itself through empathy and understanding um, how other people might feel, what might motivate them, how, um, how do you handle resistance, um, how do you adapt to all of this. So um, understanding that creativity isn't artistry, 
yeah artistry is creativity but creativity is an artistry and then mm -hmm. if we can get to that point then that empowers us and i think it frees us up because then suddenly you can say like why shouldn't i learn how to cook right why shouldn't i make furniture why shouldn't i take that dance class and then it gets circles back around to quality of life you know and and it is kind of funny you know um thinking about playing and realizing that uh that is really a, a big part of my life. And in fact, aside from remembering that I have to be at a certain place at a certain time to teach a class, mm -hmm. work doesn't really feel like work a lot to me. It's just like, oh, now I get to go do this thing. Yeah. And yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah, it is. It's a great <laughs> sign. I'm a lucky, I'm really, really lucky with that. I mean, I'm really lucky. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are there... Do you know, are there many programs like this? Have you heard um, or encountered anything? Are they popping up? Is this, have you started a trend? I, I don't know that I am responsible for any of what's going on, but I do, excuse me, I do know that there are more improv classes taking place all around the world in non-traditional environments, hmm. which are oddly enough, traditional environments like med school or law school <laughs> right. or non-traditional for improv, yeah, but yeah. traditional for <laughs> right. life. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I know that, uh, let's see. Yeah. Duke had an improv workshop that they started like half a year before we started offering this full course at UNC. Mm -hmm. And, as far as I know, that was the first for credit improv course as a business school in the world, wow. which isn't really that big of a deal. It's just what happened. But I do know more and more people are doing this because I hear from some of these people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the things that surprised me a little bit was that really the business school wants to do this? Well, business schools are pretty progressive in their thinking. Yeah. Um, you'd be surprised. Well, they're always looking for innovation. That's part of it. Um, that is a big part of it. Yeah. So, the, and they are always talking about competitive advantage and rankings versus right. other schools, as I imagine other, you know, professional schools are. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it is exciting to see this happen. And when I started doing this, people say, wait, what? Improv at a business school, balderdash. Right. You know, and then they would stroke their, their, uh, mutton chops and, and puff on their pipe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then you realized you got to get back in the time machine. Right. <laughs> Go right. home. Exactly. So, um, but now, you know, now he's on. Oh, oh, that makes perfect sense. Right. Or most people will have already heard of that. Yeah. Or maybe even taken a course or something like that. So. Yeah. You have an epigram in the beginning of, um, sorry, epigraph. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of chapter two mm -hmm. on attention. Yeah. Until you make the unconscious conscious. It will direct your life, and you will call it fate. Yeah. This is Carl Jung. Yeah. What's significant to you about that? Well, well Jung was great stand-up. People don't know that about Jung. <laughs> like, yeah, he had like, you know, 20 solid minutes on the unconscious. Um, that's really just about awareness, again, really. Um, and, and that's why I say, you know, it's important to be aware of your surroundings and other people. But you want to be aware of yourself. Yeah. And you want to be aware, you know, oh, am I projecting something onto this person? A desire, an insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, am I saying something just to show everybody what a big know-it-all I am? Am I saying something to hurt someone else? Um, understanding, you know, why? 
So for an improviser, on stage or off, really, mm -hmm. you want to be really, you want to have the, the channels open to like way down deep inside. You want to like, um, I know it's more Freudian, less Jungian, but you like, come on, Id, come on out, you know, mm -hmm. come play. Everybody's welcome to this party. But you also have to um, have, you also have to be aware that um, it might not be, whatever comes up might not be useful in a situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and on stage, uh, something that comes up might be just horrible and turn off your fellow players in the audience. So you're kind of like, all right, um, let's go to the next possibility. Right. Um, and you don't judge yourself or anything. It's just like, eh, no, I don't think so. Um, and, and that, you know, that's part of being alive and it's a huge gray area and you develop it by learning, um, mm -hmm. ex, you know, experience by, by making mistakes. But what's the biggest obstacle you encounter when trying to teach that sort of physical and mental awareness? Wow. That's, that's a really good question. Um, probably people get afraid um that this stuff that they've been repressing their whole lives or since <laughs> adolescence yeah or whenever it reminds me a little bit of something um keith johnstone talks mm -hmm. about in his book mm -hmm. impro mm -hmm. which you reference mm -hmm. um yeah that you know in in terms of spontaneity or mm -hmm. developing narrative people are afraid of of what may come out of being seen yeah. And either appearing stupid. Right. Um, or that it's not the right yeah. thing. Yeah. Or that it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. That they will be revealed as, as being monsters. Or that they're uncreative because they're mm -hmm. coming up with six different variations of the same rock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or uncool or whatever. Yeah. Um, people are, we're all, I mean, we're all insecure about that stuff. I worry about it. Sure. God, you know, and like right now, um, I'm, you know, right on the doorstep of 60 and I'm teaching undergrads. And there are times when I feel really insecure because there's stuff they know about that I don't know about. You know, they'll be mm -hmm. talking about songs or bands that I know enough to know I'm, that, that's popular. Mm -hmm. I know. I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. You know, when I was in school, I knew all this stuff, but I don't know it now because I just, I'm doing other things. Yeah. Or, oh technology oh, oh, oh you know i'm yeah. like i i'm afraid to do i i'm actually somewhat technically savvy but not like these people you know right it's they grew up it's with an it. exponential level of difference yeah. between what we right. encounter yeah, yeah. and what they deal with on a yeah. daily basis their yeah. expertise is and internalized comfort. yeah and 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 um and you know i have to think about stuff Mm -hmm. Or I forget, like, oh, that's right. There's an app for that. Um, and and <laughs> right. yeah, you know. Yeah. So seriously, just uh, it's it's funny that way. But that I think is the biggest challenge and the biggest reward of this kind of work is um, is um, getting in touch with who you really are, and then and then the great thing in that happens over and over in classes is that people get to know each other, and then they say this. Every semester at the end, like, wow, I didn't even know these people. And now they're some of my best friends, you know.
had a student, he's a great guy. Um, and he was like, he was pretty right-wing guy. Didn't strike me as hateful, but like one day he came to class and he was really excited. Like I met Rick Santorum this weekend. Like, okay, okay. cool. Um, <laughs> sure. Whatever. Yeah. And then, um, uh, one day in class, there was a, a young black woman who was saying something about being afraid. I can't remember if she said her brother had been arrested or if she was afraid that he ever, he ever got arrested. You know, she, mm-hmm. that was something she really worried about. And this guy, um, the, the white guy, the uh, Santorum supporter was sort of like, well, what do you mean? Like, not in a mean way, just right. like, I don't understand. Uh-huh. And she's sort of like, well, here's the deal. Right. And she wasn't hostile either. And I'm sitting there like, wow, they're actually dialogue. talking to each other. Real dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and nobody's yelling because they see each other and they like each other at least enough to be able to talk about it. And have they recognize mutual respect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They recognize each other as, as human. And, and uh, I remember the dude since I'm like, maybe we should talk more about this after class or something. Cause I'd like to know more, you know? Wow. And I'm sure she would, I don't know what happened after that. This is their business, not mine, but she, you know, maybe she would learn something too. Maybe there's like an open up uh, a, a channel that could open up. I'm not sure how we do that on a societal level. I really, really don't know. Um, but I do know in smaller groups that it's possible. And then a lot of times um, it's really, you know, it is. It's like going through the side door. It's not like, all right, we're going to talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. which I'm all down for, you know, like, yeah. But sometimes when you say that, people are going to like, not me, Jack. You know, and they lock the front door. Yeah. But if we're just running around goofing off, this is, you know, it's really hard to dehumanize someone when you're laughing with them. Right. Or when you're pretending to be the Eiffel Tower or a Viking ship or something. Like, mm-hmm. you're playing, you're goofing off, you're laughing, you connect. Yeah. And I think that's, I think anytime you have people playing together, it, Um, It's humanizing and it helps people to connect. And even if there are people like, I still think that person's a jerk, you know, but you you can still... You're entitled. Yeah, yeah. But but you you know... You've made the effort. At least they're a human. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, I think in answer to your question, it is on a societal level, it has to happen mm -hmm. individually. Yeah. That's the the only way it happens. Yeah. I mean, and then it it spreads... Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, obviously we're at a very dangerous and controversial time in, mm-hmm. in our history. Yeah. Um, Maybe we always have been, you know, but. It seems that way. Yeah, but it does seem very, very dire right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it seems that, to me at least, and, you know, in reading your book and hearing mm-hmm. anecdotes like that, that this does make a difference. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, well, what can you do? Well, I'm doing what I can do. This is my this is my calling, and yeah. I'm not going to make a big freaking deal a bit about it. But when I decided to move from acting into education, one of the motivators for me was I want to do something useful that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's the old Jewish saying, something like you 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 know save one person you save the world or help one person. You... And 
that means a lot. Yeah. You know, if we all did that, well, pretty much everyone's taken care of. Yeah. And so, and, and I do think that, um, you know, with regard to business, business is, business is in an interesting place right now in our national and world history. Um, so business in many ways is leading the way on some issues. Um, and yeah, maybe they're being reactive, like they're saying like, hey, look around, you know, people are interested in diversity, so we better promote and manifest diversity, mm-hmm. even if for some people it's cynical. Oh, well, um, I don't know. I, I've got no problem with people operating on self-interest. Right. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason. No problem with that. <laughs> um, uh you know, at, at Keenan Flagler, we, you know, we have courses on sustainability and ethics and, and people, people come to school, business school, because they want to get a good job. Yeah. But I, th- I think that's, um, I think it's really facile to say like business is bad. No, actually business is, and there are some good things that can happen. And sometimes business can kind of like again we can get to the good place sort of through the side door mm-hmm. you know so we might have uh, you know ngos or government agencies like at the front door saying like this is the door the virtue door you know yeah <clears throat> so anyway but to me it is important that i wound up at a business school because yeah i'm skeptical sometimes of business as well uh, i try to avoid being cynical but i'm skeptical of everything yeah. i've worked in business and government i'm skeptical of everything mm-hmm. But I do like to think that maybe if we get people who are, you know, becoming leaders who are more fulfilled and happy, that they can help to create a more fulfilled and happy environment and culture and society and nation and all that. Mm -hmm. So obviously I vacillate wildly between skepticism (laughs) and Pollyannism. Is that a term? Um, But... It is now. What are you? What are you going to do? I mean, you well, know, that's and it, my hope. it's it's interesting too to me, to like reading through your book and and looking at the the chapter titles and the components that make up a good improviser mm-hmm. that you're teaching to your students. Um, presence, being in the moment, mm-hmm. breath, being physically mm-hmm. aware, um, saying yes, being mm-hmm. acknowledging. Um, there, there's. There's a lot that it has in common with a lot of spiritual movements. Oh, like God, you, yes. you'd look at you'd look at oh, Buddhism, yeah. and they would oh, yeah. say like a lot of these. Yeah, this, oh, yeah. this is so. You know, the definition of business is not going to make money. It's to mm-hmm. provide a service, mm-hmm. and if you provide a, a great service, yeah. people will pay you for it. They'll pay you well, ideally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But and and so it's almost it seems like there's a a real simpatico. With mm-hmm. that sort of overarching definition of, of what business really could be, yeah. should be, right, and what you're serving with improv, yeah. which is helping people be mm-hmm. more aware of themselves, more vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, physically more calm, mm-hmm. less stress, less anxiety, yeah. and, and cooperating and working with each yeah. other and seeing the wholeness of other people and accepting them where they are and that that's what makes the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to put, to put it in sort of a crude term, it's, um, um, it's about, uh, uh, playing the long dollar rather than the short dollar. Yeah. You know, um, my dad uh, was a financial planner and, uh, 
he'd tell me stories about his work and, uh, you know, how he'd help people out. And he was never one of these like, I'm going to double your retirement in two months. You know, he wasn't that kind of guy. Right. And I said, Dad, you're a social worker for people with money. And my dad and, and my, yeah, and my dad and my mom both, in, you know, instilled in me cultural values. You know, they taught me to be a good citizen. And and um, and so that tickled him. But I really do think that that was true. Mm-hmm. And he complained sometimes about guys in his own firm like, oh, that guy, you know, he's just he's just trying to make a buck and he's flashy this and flashy that. But whatever. He appeals to certain flashy people. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's like helping some widow, you know, and. And again, you know, he made a good living. Yeah. But and that and he was competitive in his work, but he was following his code of ethics, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of what this book is about is, and my teaching is about is um, trying not to control, mm-hmm. because that's a fool's errand. Um, you know, Buddhism talks about that. Like it's it's an illusion. There's, and yet so many of us, myself included at times, mm-hmm. are so hell-bent on trying to control. You can't control a damn thing. Right. You can only control yourself. And if you try to control other people, they're going to only make it worse for you. Or they're going to want you to control them, in which case you really don't want them around anyway. Because like, ugh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, that is, uh, for a lot of people, you know, they've been like grimacing and white knuckling it their whole lives. And mm-hmm. this idea of like, no. Ride the wave, ride the wave, and um, and it is hard, and um, you know that mindfulness, uh, uh, trying to understand how you're behaving in the moment. What you know, what are your intentions? I think that relates to that. Um, and you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I do find that there is enlightenment in all the world's religions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by religion. Um, there, yeah, there's even one um, introduction to a chapter where I guess I'm quoting St. Matthew from uh, the New Testament, but I put a little footnote because there, there's like, it's basically the golden rule, mm-hmm. which exists in pretty much every religion. Right. Be, you know, don't do to someone else what you wouldn't want done to you. And um, <clears throat> yeah, whatever I think mean. uh, that, that's... It's just interesting that you brought that up yeah. because, um, uh, and, and I have written, I remember writing a, a blog post about um, improv and religion or improv and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think this act of creativity is um, profoundly spiritual. And I know that when I'm on stage and sometimes in the classroom, um, I feel like I'm kind of in a trance. Yeah. And I'll come out of it and it's just like, Oh, here I am again. Mm-hmm. And where did that stuff come from? And, you know, like, we'll go out for a beer after a show and like, oh, you had such a great idea. That wasn't my idea. Yeah, it was. No, no, I was responding to a thing you said. Oh, well, I was responding <laughs> to a thing you said, you know. So we'll How kinda, deep does this onion go? Yeah, yeah. right, right. And But it's like, it is almost this mystical thing of just <clears throat> opening up the channel to the creative power, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. and just... You know, the humble prayer, let me be the vessel for this thing. Right. And um, and teaching, you know, um, it's just like, man, I don't know. But if I open myself, if I really pay attention, I'll figure out some way of helping this person.
And I think that that's true, and I even mentioned this in the book, this idea of any peak experience, I think, takes you away from the ego mm-hmm. and into this moment of intense intense being. That flow state. Kind flow of state, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and how, you know, uh, I think we all crave that. And, um, yeah, the ego wants to be there around all the time. Yeah. Um, and yet we bid it, bid it leave us alone from time to time. Can you describe the concept of the second arrow? Oh, sure. And and the relevance to being present? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's again from Buddhism. Um, and uh, I and sometimes I might describe myself as a secular Buddhist just because I like the philosophy, but yeah. not really into the mythology of it. Um, sometimes I've heard myself as a small C Christian for the very same reasons. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know. Jesus had some really good ideas, but some of the stuff we're putting on him, I don't think he was asking for that, you know. Um, So the second arrow is simply this idea of um, uh, what pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Mm. Um, So we, we fear things, we get anxious about things, and we die the thousand deaths. Uh, over it, um, we really we, we have all this suffering when, in fact, we could try to just focus a little more on how are we going to handle a trying situation and let whatever pain might come to us come to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use an example from cycling uh, in the book, um, which is interesting because I'm facing a race on Sunday that's 70 miles long, and I know that it's a I, everybody's younger than I am, and they're all. In much faster than I am. And I'm just thinking like, one, why am I doing this? <laughs> Two, thinking like, okay, I mean, I was dreaming about this last night. Do I need to, look, Greg, either <laughs> don't do this thing or do this thing, but like stop suffering about it. Right. Just go do it. You'll, your lungs will burn, your quads will ache, and you'll probably get dropped. But Oh, well, no one's making you do it. Right. I'm not going to win. I'm going there to do this thing. I've decided that's what I want to do. So the second arrow is the imaginary arrow that after the first one pierces you yeah. or is coming, yeah. you imagine, and it's a thousand times worse. Yeah, yeah. right. And that's um, all of your own devising. Yeah, it's mental, emotional suffering. You know, um, uh, cats, animals, animals, I'm thinking of a cat story here. Uh, second arrow. Animals don't have second arrow. Or they might, but we don't really know because we can't talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember a few years ago, um, uh, opening a door in the house here with uh, with my cat Jeeves. And uh, somehow he was in the wrong place. I opened the door right into his head. Just donk. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, kitty, that probably hurt. You know, and he looked up at me and he wasn't like, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> or, you know, I think I have a, a hematoma or, you know. Right. It's just kind of like, ouch. And then he kind of like goes on his way. Yeah. And, um, of course, animals are good at hiding their suffering and their, that's part of instinct because they don't want to show their weakness. So, hey, maybe that's some, maybe there's something there for us as people too. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway. I, but there's no guile there. It's Right. It happened. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's a difference between fear and danger. So, right. you know, it's a very rare situation where if your interview goes poorly, you are thrown into 
uh, a cage full of uh, hungry tigers, you know, and it does take discipline. It's like, you know, it's like, a, yeah, it's a discipline like any other discipline, you know, and you, you, if you find yourself really fretting about something, taking moments like, all right, do we have to talk about this? Do we have to analyze this? You know, let's, you know, let's explore that feeling. Yeah. Um, or are you just going to say, like, yeah, yeah, you've had your say, self. Now shut up mm -hmm. and we're just going to do it when we have to do it. One of the things I've heard from my students that's very, uh, very gratifying is that they um, will say, yeah, you know, I scripted out all of my presentations word for word for word and memorized them. And then I would be very nervous about it. And if I made a mistake, it would be obviously a mistake. And it was just like really rigid. Yeah. And they said, now I'm owning my expertise. And I know that I have some points I have to make. Maybe I'll even have a couple note cards, but it's not memorizing word for word. I'm like, duh. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not denigrating them. This is for everyone. Right. Um, if you're an expert on something, then be able to talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. we're all able to sit around and talk to our friends about like, you know, I'm an expert on this or that, you know, the thing that you're into. Um, and then what I hear, of course, from the students is, I was much more relaxed. I enjoyed it. Um, I got good response. I was able to answer questions. I was there. Yeah. And um, so it works for the, the presenter. It works for the audience. Um, and, you know, no one wants to be around somebody who's really super uptight. That stuff's contagious. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, improv is not about have, being unprepared, you know, and good improvisers, right. even though they don't know what they're going to do, they rehearse and they work to develop their craft and right. their skills. Um, and part of that, part of improv rehearsal is practicing being okay with not knowing what comes next. Um, it's not about not being prepared. It's about being prepared, but also understanding that your plans will, um, things aren't going to go the way you planned and that you're okay with that. Yeah. And that's a fabulous metaphor. An expansive metaphor yeah. <laughs> from the stage yeah. to, to the boardroom yeah. to, mm -hmm. to life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think so. So I always leave uh, interviewees conversations mm -hmm. with a final question. And it's, uh, it's intended to um, kind of transition listeners out of this conversation and into the world mm -hmm. and um, take your time with it. Yeah. What is the question that's not being asked right now? Uh, um, what is success? What is that for you? Well, um, so for me, I'm an avid journal keeper. I've been keeping a journal since I was 11. That closet over there is filled with file cases, wow. uh, file boxes of, of journals. And sometimes I'll go back and read them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've been kind of like, during the pandemic, I was plowing through some of them. And there was one from when I was, what, 34, out in LA, just went through my first divorce, had no money, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew I was a good actor. I knew I was a great improviser. Um, but I didn't think I wanted to live there, and I didn't know what to do. And I was in agony about it. I was... Like, I thought, well, should I go back to school? Is that just like bailing out? Am I being a chicken here? You know, like, I, I didn't even feel like I could trust my own reasoning with mm. regard to this. And so I started making these 
pro and con lists, which I never make, but one of my older brothers always did that when we were kids. And like, gee, Joe, you know, you're so smart. You always get your stuff together. So, so I made a pro con list and I started thinking about what do I want in my life? You know, well, I want some measure of self-determination. I want a steady job that provides me with a decent living. I want to do something that's useful and that, you know, help me may benefit society. And, uh, yeah, I still want to be an artist. And I think, did I mention having fun? Yeah, I want to have fun. I want to have fun. <laughs> Definitely, I wanted to have fun. And so I started thinking about all this and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll get into teaching or maybe I'll go get a uh, master's of social work degree and do counseling or use that as parlay that into teaching. Anyway, and I, you know, I came back here and I wound up like getting involved with some other people who were doing drama therapy and then started uh, developing my own curriculum. And all of a sudden, boom, a few years later, I realized I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. And I didn't notice it at the moment. It's like that metaphor of climbing the mountain. You know, mm -hmm. your head's down and boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden you look, you know, like others. Oh, wow. I'm way up here. Mm -hmm. And... um that was incredibly gratifying. And it wasn't like I took just one road. I went down all sorts of dead ends. And um, and it was difficult and it wasn't smooth. And I got lucky and I was prepared and I worked hard. And anyway, all of these different things. And um, so I feel very good about that success, that professional success and how it's tied in with who I am as a person. Um, it seems to me like my job is just an outgrowth of who I am or mm -hmm. who I've been. And um, there's also this part of me that's saying, well, now what? Okay, well, what happens now? Mm -hmm. um, and what happens, you know, if and when I decide I want to stop teaching? Yeah. Um, and I realize that it gets back to that whole idea of, well, what do I, what do I need? Um, and one of the, you know, again, another aspect of this success thing for me is it's not about like, I got all my stuff. It's all right here. I got my stuff. I'm mm -hmm. turning to George Carlin right now. You know, like, <laughs> um, I got my stuff, man. Um, and it's about connecting with other people. And that's one of the reasons why the pandemic was so hard. And I think Michael Mead said this too on your podcast, you know, mm -hmm. this is a idea like, oh, we need to connect. Yeah, And we're all in this space now, this place now where we're coming out of it. And it's like, oh man, we need to connect. Um, and then I love to, I love to see where people are, especially young people, because that was a really vibrant period for me. And I like to be able to help them if I can. But it, wow, that's such a, that's such a cool question. And that's, that's what we all have to figure out. That's, um, and then understanding that that changes and um, that we might have to make some painful adjustments to have our lives be successful for us. Yeah. Um, maybe that's too cold-blooded of a term, but I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, goals tarnish if not renewed over time. Yeah. And a lot of us, what was successful right. to you when you were in California uh -huh. and what is successful to you now are probably yeah. very different things, although they may have some similarities. But yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer.
Well, thanks. This is a beautiful question. <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, uh, I want to say thank you for taking the time and um, congratulations on the book yeah. again. And how can people find you? I imagine um, this is on all the yeah, big yeah. I think stuff. if you just Google me, uh, Greg Hone, H-O-H-N, you'll probably find me. Um, that book is available just about everywhere. The publisher is McFarland Press. Um, they're selling it. It's you know basically everybody's selling it. And um, uh, my teaching uh, website is uh, thefiz.biz, and that's uh, F-I-Z-B-I-Z. Um, and of course, you'll have to uh, you have to read the book to find out what F I Z stands for. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you, Bradley. Yeah, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs>